The gubernatorial candidates square off in Charleston. This is Viewpoint from West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Welcome to Viewpoint, I'm your host, Ashton Mara. West Virginia's two major party candidates for governor meet for the first of two televised debates and focus in on the state's economic and budgetary issues. Reaction to the candidates' performances from the leaders of the state Republican and Democratic parties. And we meet a former Democrat who is now asking for your vote as a member of the Mountain Party. An interview with Charlotte Pritt coming up on Viewpoint. This is Viewpoint from West Virginia Public Broadcasting. The two major party gubernatorial candidates took the stage together for the first time this week, squaring off in their first of two televised debates. They discussed the economy, job creation, education, and expanding access to broadband, among many, many issues. Joining me to discuss their reactions to the debate are Conrad Lucas, the West Virginia Republican Party chairman, and retiring Senator Bill Laird. He's the vice chair of the state's Democratic Party. Gentlemen, thanks for being here. It's good to be here. Glad to be here. So everybody always wants to say that their candidate is the clear winner after a debate. So I'm going to ask you why. Conrad, why do you think your candidate won? Substance. I think that where uh, Bill Cole really won the day was he offered thoughtful, substantive solutions to many of West Virginia's problems. He talked about uh, very specific plans that he has and on a variety of, uh, variety of issues from job creation to education to broadband. And uh, we saw Jim Justice offer nothing. And I thought we saw saw a very strong contrast of uh, Jim Justice being woefully unprepared to lead the state of West Virginia and Bill Cole being ready to take over day one. Senator, I'm assuming you disagree. Uh, very much so. And again, uh, if I had to summarize, I would say vision. Uh, it's very clear to me, uh, and I think the, the viewers of the debate, that Jim Justice is the type of person who has a vision for the state of West Virginia and what needs to occur in order to move our state uh, forward. Uh, his uh, background and experience as an entrepreneur, a successful businessman, uh, is the the right formula and the right uh, skill set that we need in order to uh, uh, deal with the current problems that face our state. So there was a lot of a talk about diversifying the economy and creating jobs in the state. Jim Justice says expanding broadband and focusing on education will help diversify the economy. Very broad ideas that I don't think anybody necessarily disagrees with. When asked about moving beyond coal and natural gas, Senator Cole said that this said that the state needed to decrease regulations in order to diversify. You know, there's only so much time when you come to a debate. So, Conrad, can you first help explain that answer? Where are regulations preventing economic diversification? Well, I think we saw in the legislature under Senator Cole's leadership uh, already began tackling many of those. First, we saw right to work uh, pass, which was which is a major inhibitor. Businesses like to locate in states that are right to work states. We've been losing out on potential jobs for decades uh, because of the um, oppressive regulations in, in the state. So that's one right there. There are further um, issues involving tort reform, we, our legal system, which has been 
constantly ranked um, as one of the poorest in the country for an economy. So it's it's when we say regulations, it's it's all the types of things that are basically on paper that uh, businesses look for prior to locating an estate. So, Senator, you literally had a front row seat for some of these issues like right to work and you got a vote. Do you feel like there are too many regulations, that regulations are what's preventing economic diversification? Well, I think uh, there's a thing called responsible regulation and certainly uh, Part of the role of government uh, is to uh, responsibly regulate certain matters that impact and affect our quality of life in the state of West Virginia. Uh, I think that a number of the things that have occurred in the last two years uh, in the state legislature have not been in the best interests of working families uh, in the state of West Virginia. The problems uh, that face our state, the physical crisis, again, more recently, uh, uh, you know, in today's paper, uh, $81 million deficit uh, through the end of September. Uh, These are are major issues uh, impacting, affecting the state of West Virginia. Last week, we had Dr. Robert Rupp on the show to discuss what it was that each candidate needed to accomplish. For Jim Justice, it was could he cross the threshold and show that he can handle being governor, much like people talk about Donald Trump's issues of can he look presidential, can he present himself as a presidential candidate. So did Jim Justice accomplish that? Uh, Absolutely. And again, I go back back to uh, vision. And uh, clearly here, this is a man who deeply and dearly loves the state of West Virginia. He has uh, agreed to uh, uh, step up and uh, seek public office when certainly there's no need for him to do so other than the fact that he uh, uh, brings something to the process. Conrad, do you have thoughts on this? Uh, Jim Justice embarrassed himself last night. His entire campaign has been a a mockery of the political process. Um, He gave no ideas. He uh, certainly would be a, a It'd be terrifying to even consider him as governor for the state of West Virginia because he doesn't know what he's doing. So let's go to the opposite side. Bill Cole has the Hillary Clinton problem. He has a difficult time connecting with the average voter. Was he able to connect during this debate? Well, I think he certainly connected well with debate watchers last night. You know, folks who watch debates are very, um, very in tune politically and are very looking for substance. And that's, of course, where Bill Cole won. So clearly last night was he was very substantive. So, you know, when I was watching it, of course, you always try to figure out how, what are the folks around you thinking? I watched it in a very large crowd uh, in the lobby of the Clay Center, um, just outside of where the debate took place. And I think that in the room, of course, every person there felt a connection because as Bill Cole was laying out strong policy ideas. Those are all things that folks who are um, in that room and who watch debates were excited to hear because those are issues they follow so closely. Now, of course, there's a different type of campaigning of connecting to a a debate watching crowd with your opponent sitting one foot away from you. Um, And then the uh, retail politics of walking around parades and state fairs. And that's uh, that's where Bill Cole's really grown as a person and as a candidate. Senator, do you think Bill Cole connects with the average West Virginian? I think uh, the answer to that is no. I certainly have had uh, a good front row seat in the last two years to basically bear witness to his approach. Uh, I learned one thing, 18 beats 16, uh, and certainly the uh, the ability to drive that agenda is uh, certainly something that he has to bear some responsibility for. Uh, I think uh, certain things that I have, have concerned me is uh, the uh, inability to really address the core issues that uh, are of 
interest and concern to the citizens of, of the state of West Virginia. The governor's debate here in West Virginia was followed by the vice presidential debate at the national level where we saw Tim Kaine and um, Governor Pence go up against each other. Conrad, we've talked about Trump's popularity in the state before on this podcast, but tell me about Pence. How does he play for West Virginians? Well, he's from a coal-producing state, and I, I'll give you a very real story. I saw Mike Pence speak um, about two and a half years ago at an RNC meeting in California. And uh, what was exciting to me was when he started speaking, about three minutes into what was around a 30-minute speech, he talked about the importance of coal and domestic energy. And that there were very few people in the room who were um, from coal-producing states at the time, and he had no reason to know that there was a delegation from West Virginia um, in the room. So uh, knowing that he, he was already incorporating the um, the usage of coal and uh, domestic energy sources as part of his plans in Indiana, um, seeing him talk about that in an unsolicited fashion was very exciting. So I think that he, uh, of course, his personality, he's much more reserved than Mr. Trump. And I think a lot of folks are, uh, are attracted to Donald Trump's campaign because of the the pizzazz that he brings, where Mike Pence does bring a long history of public service, and he's from a coal-producing state. So I think that uh, Pence offers a uh, more reserved form of political political style than uh, Mr. Trump does. So I think that appeals to West Virginians as well. You know, at the end of the day, these vice presidential debates, they're not necessarily about getting the voters to back the vice presidential candidate. They're about those vice presidential candidates pushing the message of the person who's at the top of the ticket. So, Senator, we have Tim Kaine, governor, congressman from Virginia. I'm more curious about how you feel about the overall ticket in West Virginia. Do you have any concerns that the Clinton-Kaine ticket these two candidates who aren't doing that well here in the state could hurt the down-ballot races. I have great faith and confidence in the voter to consider and evaluate each individual race and uh, uh, vote for the candidate that are choice. So in this instance, uh, coattails, I don't believe so. Certainly their courthouse races, uh, the, the legislative races, the Board of Public Works, I think the, uh, uh, the strength of those candidacies lie uh, uh, with those individual candidates. But uh, uh, from the, the vice presidential debate uh, last night, I suppose the uh, the impression I had was how much uh, uh, perhaps more rational Mr. Pence seemed to be than Donald Trump, who's a little bit bombastic in the way in which uh, he approaches issues and things of that nature. So, uh, but again, I think he uh, quite appropriately chose not to defend what, uh, in many instances, is the indefensible with respect to uh, to his presidential running mate. Bill Laird is a retiring state senator and vice chair of the West Virginia Democratic Party. Conrad Lucas is the chairman of the West Virginia Republican Party. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having us. Thank you. If you missed this week's gubernatorial debate, you can watch the full rebroadcast at wvpublic.org. This is Viewpoint from West Virginia Public Broadcasting.
Jim Justice and Bill Cole aren't the only candidates in the race for governor. West Virginians that head to the polls will be presented with five options on the ballot. So far on Viewpoint, you've met two of the third-party candidates. Libertarian David Moran sat down for an interview in early September, and Phil Hudock, the Constitution Party's candidate for governor, helped us understand the complicated federal court case that almost removed his name from the ballot. Today we meet another candidate for governor, Charlotte Pritt. Hers is a name that may be familiar to some West Virginians. Pritt first ran for governor in 1992 as a Democrat and in 1996 defeated Joe Manchin in the primary to become the party's candidate for the office. Pritt is back this year on the Mountain Party's ticket as the progressive looking to make a change in the state. You know, you consider yourself the most experienced candidate in this race for governor. So tell us about your previous political experience. Why do you consider yourself to be the most experienced person? I have the most uh, legislative experience than all the other candidates combined. <laughs> and that's a very unusual situation. I, I think also my personal history that I'm a coal miner's daughter. I grew up on Buzzard Rock Mountain north of um, Charleston that we didn't have hot and cold running water, uh, that I knew what it was like to be afraid to be sick because we didn't have the money to go to the hospital or doctor. I also knew what it was like when the patrols went to D.C. As a, only as a sixth grader, I knew I had to make the money to go because we did not have the money. So I made pillowcases and sold them to everyone. We had an old treadle sewing machine. Uh, so I understand what many West Virginians are going through right now. I've experienced financial terror and financial prosperity. And I know the joy and the terror, the despair that you feel when you don't know if you're going to be able to make, you know, make the payment uh, for the electricity. So I took those experiences uh, and I took them to the legislature. So I had a 100 percent voting record with the senior citizens of West Virginia because I took care of my grandmother when I was 15 when she was ill. Um, so my experience, not just the experience of uh, the legislative experience, I served on finance committee. I know how to, to work with the budget. But more importantly, my years in the legislature were for working people, small businesses, the unions, the environment, women. Uh, so I, I feel as if these experiences that that some are very heartbreaking and, and maybe horrific uh, have really given me an opportunity to be the very best person to lead the state at this critical time. Before we get into some of the issues, I want to talk a little bit more about your politics because you made history 20 years ago being the first woman who was nominated to be um, the candidate for governor by a major party. At the time, you were a Democrat. In, when you were in the legislature, you were a Democrat. So tell us when and why you decided to switch to the Mountain Party. Well, when I saw the Democratic Party leaving the people of West Virginia, the New Deal FDR, Roosevelt Democrats, when the party left the environmentalists, when the party left the unions, when the party left our small businesses, when the party left uh, looking at health care and what we really need to do about that, when the party turned its back on our national leader and said, uh, you know, everyone was going uh, scurrying away from Obama and blaming Obama for what was happening in the coal fields when they had to know it was really oil and gas that was uh, doing that. When the party turned its back on the progressives in the party, turned its back on the New Deal Democrats of FDR, when it turns its back on us, the party left us. So I went to the Mountain Party. The Mountain Party, as platform is 
identical to Bernie Sanders' platform. There's the same thing. And we also have in the Mountain Party, which is very interesting, I find, we have New Deal Democrats like me who are very progressive, and we have also conservative Republicans. And I thought, how is that independence? So I thought, how is that working? And it's working because we're issue-oriented. We have graduated from labels. We graduated from bluebirds and redbirds. We are now looking at the issues, looking at the person. Who can we trust? Who's going to be right on these particular issues? So the conservative Republicans may not feel as comfortable with our support of LGBTQ rights and human rights, uh, but they're very, very happy to have us there fighting for the environment and standing up and talking about what's really going on with hydrofracking or mountaintop removal. Uh, so we, we have this interesting, uh, wonderful connection of real people who are trying their very best to make the changes that need to be made. So the Mountain Party's platforms, which you kind of mentioned, they include increasing public participation in government, providing equal opportunity for all citizens, protection of the environment, and the promotion of nonviolence. I'd like to like to talk a little bit more about the environmental stances of the party because you've said that you would halt hydraulic fracturing for natural gas in the state. I think most people recognize that the industry is in a downturn because of global natural gas prices, but many people are hoping and expecting that the industry will rebound in the state. In a state that's economically reliant, on the natural gas industry, on the coal industry, on these extractive industries. How do you justify your opposition to a voter who might be financially impacted by that stance? Oh, I can justify that very easily. I want to say to the voter that I have a plan. It's resurrecting almost heaven. And that plan has to do with a renewable, no no plan that is based on extractive industries that damage the environment or your health is really an economic plan. And so my economic development plan has three criteria. It has to be, uh, it has to be a renewable. It has to be a sustainable economy that we can do over and over again, like hemp. It has to be something that is equitable. And I want to make certain it's ecologically sound because if we are destroying the water and the air and the land and it's inhabitable, then we, have, we are missing out on one of our greatest potentials, which is tourism. That's what we need is a governor who's willing to step out and tell people the truth. Uh, coal, unfortunately, is gone. I will do everything I can for those that are still there, but I want to make make certain that our coal miners and our people who are going to be displaced when fossil fuel is completely zeroed out, that they have something even more wonderful to go to. Is there anything that the next governor of West Virginia can do to improve access to higher education in the state? Absolutely. I'm going to find enough money, especially when we get uh, a part of my economic development package will be the uh, decriminalization uh, of marijuana and of cannabis. As I said, last year, Colorado made a billion dollars. People made a billion dollars. So when we get the money, then we're going to have education will be free. And we're not just talking about a college education, but if people want a specialty training. So we need to get on the curve. And when uh, my economic development package is is passed, we're going to have a lot more money than people uh, ever thought about. You talk about helping West Virginians, but inevitably the governor, the way that the governor helps West Virginians is through policies, is through legislation. 
If you were to become the next governor of West Virginia and the legislature did not change, your Democratic past is clear. We know that you have those connections and those relationships. Mm -hmm. And likely if the Democrats were in charge of the legislature, it sounds like you could get things done. If we're in the other case, though, Mm -hmm. if the Republicans maintain control of the legislature, how confident are you that you can get these things done? I'm the only person who can get these things done because as a Mountain Party person, uh, we don't look at the labels like Democrat and Republican. And I've worked with many of the people. I've served both in the House, two terms, and in the Senate. I'm the only person running who's done that. I know what it's like. I know the committees. That This is familiar terrain. And not only that, I have a very good working relationship with people of all parties. As I said, Democrats, Republicans, Independents, they know that they can work with Charlotte Pruitt because I don't give up. If I believe in something, I don't give up. And uh, I've been told by many people who serve with me, Charlotte, you're a straight shooter. You're not afraid to say where you stand on issues. You're not afraid that people are going to not understand this or that. You say where you are, and you will work really, really hard. I have a persistence in work ethic that uh, I think is unmatchable. As you travel the state campaigning, what are the people of West Virginia telling you? How are they reacting to your campaign? Oh, it's wonderful. And and this is what I go up and say. I say, if you're not already committed to a candidate for governor, I would so much be honored and, and need your help. And people are saying, no, honey, it's what, what, how, a billionaire and a millionaire? What do they know about us? And I said, well, I'm a coal miner's daughter, and uh, I was a school teacher. And education was what freed me from poverty. So you can imagine how strong I am on education. You're never going to have another governor who's as strong as I am. Um, And so people have been embracing me. And it's been very interesting. People are saying, now, what? Are you Democrat, Republican? I'll say, well, I'm not either one. They'll say, what? (laughs) I'll say, the Mountain Party is the party of basically the people. We have former Democrats, former Republicans, former Independents. We have people from all spectrums because our party is concerned about the issues, about what can we do as a people of West Virginia to resolve these issues, to move us away from this trend that we've had for 16 years now in which we are going further and further into debt and we're destroying our land more and more and people's rights. We need a governor who's going to step in now because if we don't have Charlotte Pritt as governor of West Virginia, God help us. Someone said the other day, God help us, Charlotte, if we don't have you, and God help you if you're there, <laughs> because it's such a mess. So what am I hearing from people? I'm hearing from people all over the state. Oh, goodness gracious, Charlotte, this is going on, that's going on. It is. We we have had allowed Alec and these huge corporations, the Koch brothers, to come into our state to have influence in our budget, to have influencing the lawmakers. We no longer have a state that belongs to the people. It belongs to the corporation, and that has to change. And this is the time to do it. If we do not do it now, I fear it will be too late. Again, that was Mountain Party candidate for Governor Charlotte Pritt. Pritt's full sit-down interview is available at our website, wvpublic.org. This has been Viewpoint from West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Next week, the West Virginia gubernatorial candidates will meet for their final debate before the election. We'll bring you a recap of that broadcast with analysis from West Virginia journalists. Viewpoint is available at wvpublic.org or you can subscribe on iTunes. Follow the show at ViewpointWV on Twitter. I'm Ashton Mara. 
thanks for joining us.